If you're looking to buy or sell pre-IPO stock, SharesPost has a solution for you. Since 2009, SharesPost has transacted more than $4 billion in the top private tech companies. Proven, trustworthy, secure. Visit us at SharesPost.com. This week on Equity, Zooks loses its CEO, Eventbrite is going public, and Slack, One Medical, and Get Around raise piles of money. It's almost that time of the year again. Disrupt SF is right around the corner and will literally be bigger and better than ever. We've outgrown the various piers that line the bay and have moved the show to Moscone West. Panels across two stages will include Aileen Lee, Reed Hoffman, Ellie Wheeler, Ashton Kutcher, Ben Horowitz, and Priscilla Chan, just to name a few. Sounds like a great lineup to us. And because we love you, our dear Equity listeners, we have a discount code just for you. Head on over to techcrunch.com slash events slash disrupt dash SF dash 2018 and enter code equity for 15% off the main ticket price. What savings? Hello and welcome to Equity. I'm Alex Wilhelm, and with us this week we have TechCrunch's Silicon Valley editor Connie Lozes. Connie, hi. Hi. We have TechCrunch's excellent Sarah Burr. Hello. And our guest this week is Suze McCormick, a partner at uh, Morrison and Forrester, or Mofo, as it turns out. Hi. Hello. And uh, this is a fun week because we have uh, really a lot of enormous news. The, the starting point, which is Zooks and what happened at the top of its org chart. So, Connie, what's the, uh, what's the headline there? Yeah, big news all around. But uh, with Zooks, so we had talked about this a couple of weeks, as uh, listeners may know. Zooks is this autonomous driving startup that is uh, trying to build cars from scratch. We were talking about it because last month it had raised $500 million at a $3.2 billion valuation and things looked great. Then suddenly yesterday, the CEO and co-founder, Tim Kentley Clay, was apparently dismissed without having any idea that it was coming, judging by his tweets. Uh at one point, he said today was Silicon Valley up to its worst tricks. Today, a lot of people are asking what happened. Um, Kentley Clay is uh, certainly sort of out of the ordinary, uh, as is Zook's business. Uh, I'm sorry, Bloomberg had written this really interesting profile about him earlier this year, uh, talking about his path. But before we dive into that, I'd love to sort of capitalize on the fact that we have a startup attorney here mm-hmm. in our presence. Suze, um, obviously, it's not very easy to separate a founder from a company. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what happens sometimes behind the scenes leading up to this? Apparently, this was a decision by the board. I don't know if there's a new board member who joined after Zooks raised its newest round of funding. Um, but any thoughts on it sort is of the process? Mm-hmm. I mean, particularly for oh, for the founder and for the investors. So the founder, it's almost we were talking earlier about our children. It's like, you know, you have a baby, you give birth to it, you care about right. it deeply. Um, and then all of a sudden there are other people who are taking care of the baby and, you know, and then they have an interest in the baby in terms of the investors right. and they really, really care that that baby goes to Harvard. So, <laughs> um, you know, when, when you, when you have that kind of dynamic, it puts a lot of pressure on the founder and often the person who comes up or conceives of this fabulous new idea is not the person who can actually operationalize it and run a day-to-day company and then get it to a successful exit. And so there is often this tension. And I think one of the interesting things that's been happening in the Valley is some of the founders of this sort of this iteration Mm -hmm. of technology are really kind of break it and leave things behind kind of people. So, you know, if you look at sort of the first, and I came to Silicon Valley in the late in the late 90s, 
Um, so the first iteration was building something new. The second, you know, for me was sort of iterating on that. The third has been, let's actually throw away, kind of blow up all of the old systems and build something new. And mm-hmm. I think Zooks, a lot of the companies we're going to talk about today, there's a certain mindset of a person who goes in and just like, you know, no, the right. rules don't apply. That can be great for starting a company mm-hmm. in terms of getting the company to the next level where when you've got 500 million, and we were talking earlier, I do a lot of work for SoftBank. When SoftBank is deploying that kind of capital, you take companies to a new level, mm-hmm. which means there is a heightened level of scrutiny. Right. So kind of when you were young and scrappy and breaking all the rules, fine. But now you got to follow the rules. And particularly when you've got a charismatic founder who may not believe the rules was apply to him. You right. Know, you can be kind of screwed. And we don't really know what happened. Um, I, you know, my friend Dan Primack, Primack writes a newsletter called uh, Axios, and he'd sort of talked to VCs, and some of them had said, I think, or sources close to the company said, look, it couldn't have been a complete shock to him. There's been sort of strife between, you know, management and the board or him specifically in the board. Um, Not knowing what happened, though, what sort of happens from here? So typically the founders, he'll maintain his shares. Um, What do you have to do to sort of protect the company from, you know, I don't know if he would sort of uh, try to take action against the company. Is that sort of... Or in the sort of formative documents when you're raising funds are, you know, will the VCs and the board be sort of protected from any kind of, you know, liability? Yeah. I, yeah, I think you have two sets of issues, right? Mm-hmm. You have he could leave and either sue or he could leave and take his ideas, his IP and start a competitive shop and mm-hmm. hurt the value. That's kind of related to his employee employment kind of risk. And typically early on, if you've got decent lawyers in there and the VCs make sure it's done right, you kind of have him sign a whole bunch of things, right. that, you know, protect, protect the IP, mm-hmm. make sure they assign it in. You have the risk on the other hand um, that in fact he has certain sort of rights, and I don't know on Zooks, but he has certain rights that are embedded in his equity ownership. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at right, what's happening right now with Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg. You know, you've got you've got founders who believe they should maintain control, right. even as they've diluted by having super voting stock, by having the right to appoint board members. Otherwise, that is where often the rubber hits the road because you've got to figure out, you agreed, I'm betting on you. You know, you agreed, you know, the investors agreed initially they're betting on the founder and now the founder still has these rights. And how do you renegotiate? That's going to be interesting. Well, in the meantime, I guess his co-founder, uh, let's see, I'm trying to remember his name right now. He was now. promoted Jesse Levinson. to uh, president, right? That's what happened. President, I believe yeah. so. Uh, and he's a sort of, but I think he's sort of in an interim CEO position and they're going to be looking for his replacement. So I I thought that was sort of interesting as well, just that they don't have someone lined up, or maybe that's for appearances sake, but you would think that, that if they were going to sort of terminate him, they would have somebody. They have a list of some few people. Right. Yeah. Can you, I'm sorry, do you, can you tell me how that works? I don't know. No. And I also don't know if Zooks is a client of the firm. So I, okay. I, 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 I'm coming <laughs> generally. Yeah. We do sometimes have fancy ass disclaimers. Uh, but uh, yeah, typically, you know, if somebody is 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 asked to leave, there will be, you know, there will be a provision. But oftentimes it really is just, you know, the person who has the initial idea yeah. is not the, the right board fit. believes is not the right person right, right, right. to take it. You know, it, it's it's a different skill set in terms of operationalizing the company. It, it will be really interesting to see what he does. He has a, a background. Um, uh, he, I think he ran an ad business. He's a native Australian. He came to the States. And I guess uh, in this uh, sort of move that uh, 
Bloomberg said, you know, some would call devious and others would call ingenious. He had sort of learned what he knows uh, about autonomous cars by telling some of the people in the field uh, that he was working on a documentary and sort of mining information from them. So, <laughs> shady. so, wow. so it's, it is, I mean, it is shady, but, you know, four years later, he's, you know, built this. <laughs> well, yes. Okay. Built the company and now fired. So anyway, we'll see. I don't know if he'll, you know, have a second shot at this, but it'll be certainly interesting to watch. Well, moving us along to another uh, important amount of money that's going to trade hands, Eventbrite is going public. And if you'd forgotten that Eventbrite wasn't already public, I will forgive you. Uh, the company filed its S1 today. So this is kind of hashtag breaking news uh, here on the podcast. Um, just as a kind of show of hands, if you will, how many people here have used Eventbrite in the last year? I, I use it regularly. Us, right? I yes, I use it regularly. Uh, you know, I do want to say side note, fun fact is that Eventbrite used to be in the same building as TechCrunch. Oh, is that right? Yes, this very building that we're in. This, this is, is where they started. Probably founded around the same time, 12 yes. years ago. Yes, this is where it was it started in the same building. Okay, can I ask this startup lawyer another question? Which, uh, so apparently, <laughs> Suze, uh, uh, no, I'm just curious because I'd read. Uh, I'm not really sure I'm a startup lawyer. Actually, okay, right? well, yeah, anyway. uh, <laughs> if you'll excuse me. Um, but uh, Eventbrite reportedly filed confidentially mm-hmm. last month, and now they've filed publicly this month. What's the sort of what's the kind what's of the rationale? Yeah, for I mean, I thought well, it sort of gave yeah. them time to sort of plan out their IPO, and then why? It why can, would they, uh, but it also a lot of people that we work with will plan their. IPO file confidentially if they're also exploring other options. So they don't oh, have to, oh, they don't have to go forward with the IPO. They can also be looking at M&A. And okay. a lot of, it's interesting because a lot of the companies we you guys talk about on the show are these unicorns. Mm. You know, it, it's difficult for them to go public because they have such a huge valuation to begin sure. with. And so M&A is, is a better option. So that, that's one reason. And the other is just to sort of, you know, almost to test the market ahead of time to make sure all of their ducks are in a row and, you know, you don't want to go out and then have your stock fall 20, 30, 40 percent, as sometimes happens. So sure. um, you have more flexibility in terms of timing when you've been confidential and you can, you know, you can gauge when you actually want when the timing is right to come out, especially with the current market, which everybody I think everybody agrees is a little uh, a little inflated. A little um, inflated is uh, a polite way of putting it. Uh, <laughs> I the, smile as I was saying that. Okay. I mean, that makes. I mean, I would kind of just cackle with laughter. Um, the good thing about Eventbrite, though, is it's pretty healthy as as a company goes, especially as uh, in terms of the unicorns we've seen go public uh, in the last 12, 18 months. The company is doing, I dare I say, it quite well. Um, it grew from one hundred thirty three point five million in revenue in sixteen to two hundred and two, roughly in seventeen. And accelerated growth in the first half of 2018 versus 2017. So this late in its life, uh, revenue growth acceleration is pretty interesting and pretty unique. Well, I think part of that is through growth. I think it's acquired a few companies. Yeah, not, but I mean, the, the cool thing about right. exactly, but its uh, its pace of losses, its uh, kind of margins, if you will, are pretty solid for a company of its size. And if you look kind of year over year at its uh, gap net loss, it's um, it's up to roughly you know 15, 16 million, but off of. 142 million in the first half of the year. So it's all pretty healthy, free cash flow generation. Um, I'd forgotten that it wasn't public, like I said. So when I was looking through this, I was expecting to be kind of terrified. Uh, but instead, it's kind of a pretty solid business. I don't see anything here in its S1. I went through it uh, right before the show. So, you know, I may have missed something. But on the whole, I would give it like an A minus. Um, I was impressed. I like it. I didn't I didn't look through it at all. But I have to say, as a woman who's been in Silicon Valley uh, for 
a long time uh, and loves seeing more women rising through the ranks. I think it's great that uh, we're going to have another uh, CEO of a publicly traded company uh, who is a woman. Julia Hartz uh, had founded the company with her husband 12 years ago. He stepped aside, uh, I think, in 2016 from what was sort of a non-life-threatening condition, uh, as they described it at the time. So now, uh, assuming it goes uh, public, she'll join a uh, tiny but growing list of female founders who've done this. Last year, of course, we had Katrina Lake, who took Stitch Fix public. Uh, And I think she was maybe the only woman uh, to take an internet company public in all of 2017. So go, Julia. Yeah, the, yeah, the next question this. is what's the, what's uh, Eventbrite worth? It raised uh, just over three hundred and thirty-three million uh, in its life, and its last valuation was supposed to be north of a billion, but we're not really sure where. So I was hoping to have some kind of you know rough guesses for us today, but I just don't know at all where they're going to price. So I'm pretty excited about when those numbers when they come down. Hey everyone, don't forget this episode is brought to you by Shares Post. Well, speaking of companies that should go public, perhaps, uh, Slack, the four-year-old workplace messaging company, said on Tuesday that it had raised $427 million in new founding. This is a huge uh, infusion of money, and it follows another pretty huge infusion of money that happened uh, last year when Slack raised $250 million in capital from SoftBank, uh, SoftBank's vision fund. So uh, this is actually a pretty nice uptick for SoftBank. The valuation of Slack last year was $5.1 billion. Now it's $7.1 billion. So... That's a big jump. Uh, we'd actually reported on this a couple of weeks ago that it was in the works. So I think uh, this has been coming together for at least, you know, most of the summer, I think. Yeah. And uh, back when uh, TechCrunch originally broke the story, I think it was uh, Ingrid London and Josh Constein uh, wrote that. Uh, I pulled a bunch of their old numbers. And sorry, this is old news to people. But we looked at their kind of paid seats over time and their ARR generation. And we kind of figured out roughly where they were going to be. And our best guess was that Slack is now at around a 20 or 22x ARR multiple. And the question then becomes, wow. you know, how quickly can the company grow into that uh, right. before it does go public? Because it's very richly valued now for a private company. But at the same time, Slack is one of the fastest growing companies in the history of SaaS. So right. it's not surprising to see it get a multiple of this size. I don't know. And Sarah, it, you, you've been using Slack forever. What do you think about this? I, you know, I do have to say that this is in my very, very non-scientific survey of friends who are not in Silicon Valley. A, a year ago, you asked them, have you heard of Slack? Most of them, I think, would say, you know, maybe they'd, maybe some of them had heard of it. Uh, most of them had no idea what I was talking about. Now, is if you ask them, have you heard of Slack? A lot of them are using Slack. So that's a huge difference in just a year. Uh, and I think also the timing of the round is not so surprising um, because, you know, we talked about this a couple of months ago, right, Alex? What Atlassian had sold its corporate chat software to Slack. Yep for a sum that Stuart Butterfield had sort of described as nominal, but very important strategically. So now I think the race really seems to be, you know, Slack versus Microsoft and its rival product teams. Um, Am I wrong? Am I missing sort of another big player there? What's interesting is apparently they've fielded interest from Microsoft in the past. I wonder if, uh, you know, that will resurface again. Or Well, back in the day that the number that was mentioned was that Microsoft tried to buy them or thought about buying them for about $8 billion. And that was kind of, you know, back when Slack was worth a fraction of what it is now. So it okay. seemed to be kind of an insane premium. But now, you know, it's worth $7.1 billion on its own. It's kind of like, right. well, could they have actually bought it for kind of a cheap price then? Uh, the only thing I'd throw in there is that Alibaba has DingTalk, which is uh, another very popular uh, kind of equivalent-ish product. Uh, but, you know, I think Slack's mindshare in the U.S. is staggering. The question then becomes, what's more valuable, a really great brand like Slack has or Microsoft's enterprise sales channel for teams? And I don't know who's going to win, but it's going to be a race, you know, and Slack now has plenty of money in the bank to probably do whatever it wants for as long as it wants. I doubt it's going to be burning cash 
anything like a pace that would require it to raise again before it goes public. So it well, kind of has a, a winter war chest, if you will. Sure. And I was going to say Stuart Butterfield has lived through you know ups and downs before with his previous company. So he's probably very smart to build that war chest as you know, much as yeah, he well, can. Um, but, but I was going to say, I'm sorry, speaking of uh, SoftBank, I was wondering if we could talk about GetAround, uh, the car share company that lets yes. drivers rent their vehicles to strangers. Now, I know, Suze, you probably can't talk about this because you work uh, with SoftBank on its- And we handled the GetAround deal. Okay. And you handled- Okay. <laughs> so she's so going to talk about your work. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it raised $300 million in Series D funding uh, announced this week by the SoftBank Vision Fund. Uh, also participating Toyota and Company Insiders. Altogether, it's raised $400 million. So, you know, most of the money just came now. And um, I was sort of uh, really interested in this deal because, you know, you see get around everywhere, especially in San Francisco. But I don't think they get really talked about a lot. And I, I think at some point, um, you know, there's been so much focus on Uber and Lyft and all these other sort of you know, alternatives to getting around uh, that get around has kind of gotten overlooked, but there must be something interesting happening there. I mean, there must be given the scale of capital that's been put into it. I mean, it's kind of a shocking amount of money, but SoftBank has been doing this. I mean, they did it to Brandless. They did it to um, WAG. I mean, this is almost like a thematic size of investment. The question is, what can they do with it? It's going to be an accelerant and not really um, something that's going to add a lot of losses. But as a, as a detail in the in the TechCrunch story about this round, it does note that Get Around launched at uh, TechCrunch Disrupt New York back in 2011. That's so right. So this is almost like, a, I don't know, friend of the family in a way. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's uh, it's eight years old at this point. Uh, it has several thousand vehicles in 66 U.S. cities. Uh, apparently, it's a sevenfold increase in booked hours last year. I, it's really interesting. I mean, I, to be honest, it's, it's not top of mind for me, and it should be. I was reading this um, Times piece uh, leading up to today's uh, podcast, and there was this Lyft operations manager who'd been interviewed by the Times who said he's making like $750 a month just you know renting his car out here and there when he's not using it. And it's something that people should be seizing on. But you know, its biggest competitor, I guess, maybe perhaps still, if you take out Lyft and Uber and the rideshare companies, is um, Zipcar which went public and was acquired by Avis back in 2012. And I have no idea uh, how big that is. But of course, having Avis uh, behind you has got to be pretty meaningful. So, you know, you just sort of wonder uh, if Getaround's also not going to be, you know, picked up at some point. Although I guess somebody would have been maybe wise to pick it up before well, it raised Turo. money and it became more valuable. Turo is also on the market. Turo is a company that oh, also right, 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 rent out right, your car. And that Turo. raised, I think Sorry, it was like Turo. 92 million earlier this year. So there's a lot of capital going into the space. And again, my usual quibble here is that when we're seeing this amount of money go into a relatively narrow-ish sector, I'm always kind of worried that people are trying to invest and use capital as a way to decide the winner. But if everyone does right. it at the same time, what do you end up with? It sounds like kind of like a car wreck. Uh, to try to fit a pun no in pun. there really poorly. Sorry for one. You're groaning. We, we I apologize. Sort of, we haven't had enough puns in this one. I, uh, I don't know. Is there is there a quota of puns for sure that we have? Like I think three? five puns per show. Don't you think so? Yeah. Five is generous. That's all right. Uh, anyways, it's a, it's another huge pile of money. We jokingly called this like the huge round roundup when we were planning out the show because we have one more um, huge round, one medical. Uh, but it's staggering to me still that we can have this many multi-hundred million dollar rounds in 268 100 million dollar rounds in the first seven months of this year and how many of those were with SoftBank? honestly no honestly honestly well there i mean they are they believe and i think i believe i'm I'm sort of part and drink drink the kool-aid that they are you know building the sort of the new technology for the next generation and they are placing bets on winners and i mean if you look back i moved here 
um, in 96. So sort of lived through two of these. Mm -hmm. And if you kind of look back, you know, who are the winners, you know, now? Mm -hmm. They're not always the first in class. They're not always the ones that you guys were talking about as hot. They were sort of maybe smaller and scrappier. and, And then they, you know. They they came forward because they had fabulous technology well, that was really going to disrupt. And it's always hard for me to not to, not to sort of spend too much time on SoftBank, but you know, big question always is whether it can return this fund. But sometimes you see these deals like Slack. Of course, it hasn't exited yet, but that's a two billion dollar markup in you know less than a year. Flipkart, big markup from the time it um, invested last year to this year. Anyway, it's it's you know you can sort of see how it's starting to piece some returns at least on paper together. Yeah, yeah no, that, that part to, looks really good. I mean, points to them for having the guts to keep doing this. I mean, because things could get dicey, but they're still investing the same pace as if things will not they're change. They're stressing all of us out, yeah. but they seem they seem fine. <laughs> Maybe we're all a bunch of Boston. nervous nerds. Um, I was in Boston with them yesterday. But if it, they are also, I just wanted to, to mention sort of a focus of my practice is, is on sustainability, which is one area I think technology is going, not just for sort of positive impact or the goodness sheen, but in really solving the world's issues. And they are heavily, heavily invested there as well. And I, I think sort of the tech community, because they don't view it as pure tech, doesn't see it, but it what? is a, I mean, it is a, it's an interesting play. What are some of the plays in that space? Our renewable I... energy throughout the world, particularly okay. in the developing world, is a huge, you know, it's a huge factor for them. They're very interested in ag tech, if you look at their plenty investment. Oh, right. Um, and they were one of the first large investors that invested in a PVC, which is this new corporate forum, people refer to them as, as B Corps, but uh, B Corp is just a certification. Uh, right. BBC is really where you're shifting the fiduciary duties. So you are requiring boards and management to focus on, in, in addition to making money, some sort of purpose. And kind of running through all this, and if we go back to Zooks and some of the other deals we've talked about, you know, sort of for me, it's really interesting, the intersection between sort of good, good governance, mm-hmm. which we're talking about with the founders, we're talking about these companies, and actual share value is something I think, you know, the tech community doesn't focus on as much, but I think they will. I think Facebook will probably be the first of many of if you don't have governance, it's kind of like the scaffolding and it's a startup. You don't, you know, you're a little, you're, you're a tiny little P, you mm-hmm. don't think about the scaffolding mm-hmm. and you don't really run into it until you grow up, you're big, you're a public company. If it's not quite right, it means you can tip over. And I, I think that defines and and SoftBank and other investors are starting to really focus on this governance piece. Benchmark, I know, in terms of their strategy, which is much smaller, but pivoted, is really looking at the intersection. And it relates to kind of almost everything you've talked about here. Interesting. I hadn't heard that term before, PPC. B Corp was sort of the talk of the town, you know, like maybe five years ago. And I do feel like there hasn't B-Corp been enough. B Corp is a, cert- is a certification. <laughs> sure. No, no yeah. I know. A company had started that. Uh, but This is a shift. Yeah. And this is actually a shift that the big companies like the, you know, the Nestle's, the Unilever's are mm-hmm. looking at as well, actually as an anti-takeover device. It is really is shifting fiduciary duties. Interesting. Um, so I'll have to look into I that. I'll stop babbling. About that. <laughs> no, 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 no. That Sorry. Was so, so before we go, I know Sarah wanted to talk a little bit about One Medical, which she wrote about this week. And I don't know anything about it other than it raised a, a lot of money. Uh, yeah, I barely know anything about it. But uh, what I do know is that it raised about $350 million, which is a huge round from the Carlisle Group. Now, so it was just it's just through the Carlisle Group. And it was reported earlier this week that they were raising $200 million from the Carlisle Group. That was a rumor uh, that uh, CNBC picked up. And then um, later it was revealed by the company to us that it was actually $350 million. Uh, $220 million of that was towards the primary equity investment. And then a hun- another $130 million in a secondary investment. So how uh, old is One Medical? Is like 10 years old-ish? Yeah, I- it was uh, founded in 2007. 
Yeah, I was going to say it's a little bit, yeah, a little and, bit older and, than And I, I know a lot of people in Silicon Valley use it, but what does it, it's a sort of a it's private a medical. So <laughs> this, is what's, this is what's incredible, right? It's a concierge medical platform. So that means it's incorporating machine learning uh, to serve up email reminders that you have an appointment ready. You can get someday service. Um, they have a lab within the doctor's office where you can get your blood work done. And this is, this is what really blows my mind is that that's actually groundbreaking. In the medical community, like that's actually something that's uh, amazing. Just that sort of hand holding, but but right. it comes at a price. It's it comes, pretty expensive. Is well, it is it like no. a yearly subscription yeah, or how does it yeah, work? So it's a yearly member. I wouldn't say it's very expensive. It's like what one eighty five for a membership per year. That's not very. They take all sorts of of health insurance too on top of that. So they'll take a health insurance. You pay a membership fee to get all these things that in my mind should just be sort of part of the course in every medical office. It's sort of shocking that. You know, going through the medical system, even, you know, I just had a baby and how crazy that was to get, you know, any kind of, um, you know, office visit. And you have to plan out months in advance to get the doctor that you want. And that's just it's mind blowing that it's not normal to get same day service, to get the doctor that you're looking for, to get labs within the office. You don't have to go out to, you know, Quest Labs or to some other lab to get your blood work done. And it's just, it's all right there in One Medical. And they raise a ton of of money with Carlisle Group. They plan on doubling their offices. So they're in seven states right now um, in several different regions with throughout states, a lot of them in California. They are going to be expanding to San Diego is one of them they mentioned. Uh, And so they're going to double the 72 offices and probably uh, marketing too. Right, marketing. They're they're hiring a bunch of. Uh, they're beefing up their staff, their medical staff, their marketing staff. They're um, they're also going to be improving on the technology even further. So uh, just so they can kind of compete with what's you know already out there. There's a lot of um, telemedicine apps out there, and they also offer telemedicine. There's um, a lot of different uh, different sort of similar services that are popping up. Forward is one of them that's sort of popped up, backed by Sequoia. Uh, they're not as big as One Medical. They haven't been around as long, but One Medical obviously wants to make sure that they're the top dog. Do we have any thoughts about Carlisle doing this deal? So Carlisle is a private equity firm. It usually does buyouts. Alex, do you have any thoughts about this? Uh, I just uh, stopped being surprised at seeing (laughs) non-traditional people come in and plunk down huge checks. I mean, it seems like everyone has excess capital and everyone is not risk averse. And so the combination of the two ends up with Carlisle putting money into One Medical. I mean, I bet if we took the group of us here back like a year, two years and said that sentence, we'd all kind of giggle and go, what? Uh, but now we say it and nothing, we don't even kind of Nothing's laugh at surprising. all. It feels right. normal. So uh, the only thing that I would add is I keep forgetting to cancel my one medical membership and I think I've been paying them for years and not going. This is why I'm getting married because I'm uh, I'm not great at some things. So anyways. Uh, that does help. And on that note of my personal incompetence, we have to wrap up this week. So thanks to Sarah and Connie and our guest, Suze. Thank you guys. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. And we'll be back in uh, seven days. Stay cool. All right, everybody, thank you for listening, and a big thank you to Connie Loizos, our producer Christopher Gates, our executive producer Henry Pickovet, and we will see you all right here next week. 